Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast. My name is Dr. Danielle Tate. I am the Maternal Medical Director for TIPQC, and I'm at the Postpartum International Support, or PSI, conference. I'm joined by Dr. Christy Christopher Holloway, who is the founder and director of New Vision Counseling Center, and she's also one of our trainers today. Welcome, Dr. Christopher Holloway. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to get to do a podcast interview. Absolutely. <laughs> we are so excited to hear from you. Can you tell us all just a little bit about your background and yeah. what you do day to day? Yeah. <laughs> what I do day to day, I don't know. Do we have that much time? But no. <laughs> background. So I am a therapist in private practice. I own a, a private practice, New Vision Counseling Center, which is a group practice. And we work with a lot of different populations but I specifically specialize in working with so women that are experiencing infertility and infertility trauma, birth trauma, reproductive loss, and issues related to perinatal mental health, of course. Wonderful, wonderful. I will tell you that just mental health disorders, mood disorders in pregnancy are something we are all aware of, yeah. but always seems like that taboo area to talk about and to delve in with patients. Mm -hmm. What would be your best advice to healthcare providers as far as opening that door or if they identify a patient, how to continue on and properly evaluate and potentially get them to the best counseling services and treatment plan? Yeah. My advice to providers would be to, you know, just definitely ask questions. Ask the question, how are you feeling? How is parenthood going? Today may be a good day. What was yesterday like? What was last week like? Do you have any concerns? Because oftentimes we may miss it because we didn't ask the question or we weren't too sure of how to ask the question. So it doesn't have to be this fancy, structured type questionnaire and things like that. It's literally just getting the conversation going. So that way, one, the parents, right, they know like, oh, okay. I can talk about this, or this is something. Maybe what I've been feeling, wait, they, they already know about this? Oh, I can talk about it. So it gives them that security sometimes and that safety to know that they can bring it up and that this is extremely normal. But then also for providers, it allows them to make sure that they are holistically or that we are holistically caring for our clients and being able to ask these questions because we won't always see that someone is distressed, right? They may present very well. They may come to us very well. We don't see internally they are flipping out, losing it, and feeling like a hot mess. So my advice would be to ask the question, of course, to be obviously trained, which is what we're doing here over these few days to be trained, but to get the dialogue and the conversation going. Now, I know everyone knows about postpartum depression. I feel like that's on every TV show, commercial, very common language. Mm -hmm. But can you discuss any other prevalent 
important to know mood disorders absolutely absolutely you're right because a lot of times people will say oh i have postpartum right and we're like well postpartum what because a lot of times we are assuming or just the terminology right it's blanketed right like people are thinking postpartum depression but what they aren't always familiar with which is why we want to ask the question to educate is perhaps postpartum anxiety that is very comorbid or can sometimes go hand in hand with postpartum depression, right? You're depressed and then you're anxious because you're depressed and then you're anxious and, or depressed because you're anxious, right? And you can't figure it all out. So postpartum anxiety is extremely prevalent as well. Others are OCD, right? Postpartum OCD that may be triggered or emerge after delivery, having a baby, birthing a baby. We talked about PTSD. So oftentimes people may not be aware of birth trauma And every traumatic experience may not necessarily lead to a trauma diagnosis, but for some people it will, right? For some people, they will have a traumatic experience and then have the trauma responses following that traumatic experience. We've had postpartum PTSD, bipolar, right, can happen. And I don't know if I said it, OCD and even postpartum psychosis that happens in about one to two percent of birthing, birthing people. So we want to make sure that, again, we know and we're educated because sometimes we may miss it and we miss it because we don't know. We don't know that anxiety is there. And so not only may the provider not know, but again, the, the patient, the parents may not know. And so if they don't know, they don't know what to say they're experiencing. They don't know to talk about it or they may feel ashamed to talk about it or feel like, well, what's wrong with me? No one else experiences experiences this. Or are they going to take my baby away if I say that I'm anxious or that, you know, I'm having these different feelings and things like that. So those are some of the other ones that, that do exist and that can be prevalent when we're talking about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Wow. I tell you, that list is much more extensive than I think anyone would guess. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you speak of mood disorders, I know most are thinking, well, that's something that will come after the baby. So we'll pay attention. Is there ever a situation where it could start before the end of pregnancy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one of the risk factors can be a prior history already of depression, anxiety, OCD, things like that. You know, everybody in the world, we we live in a a very pronatalist society. And what that means is we think that everybody wants to be parents, right? We have all of these benefits and things that happen when you do become a parent. But not everybody wants to be a parent. So you think about those people who don't want to be a parent or who are now pregnant by some type of assault or things like that. They may not be excited. It it may not grow on them and things like that. So, yes, you can be depressed. You can have this perinatal time, right? It's already started during pregnancy. It's already started, obviously, prior to birth. And so then what happens, right? We haven't treated. We haven't addressed. We haven't looked at anything. We haven't provided any type of education to the birthing person. So again, hmm, now we have a risk factor for it to be elevated or still be present post-birth, right? So yes, it's. I always, if I can get my clients prior to them being pregnant and I know they're ready to start family planning, this is stuff that we already start talking about. And it's not to say that everybody that gets pregnant is going to have a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, but it is to say that one in five to seven women and one in 10, one in 10 dads will experience it. So if I'm not addressing it, what about, I'm going to miss something, right? I'm going to miss someone. 
So I start talking to them prior to it. If I get them while they're pregnant, we start talking about it. I start asking them about their history, family history. How was it, you know, getting pregnant? How has this pregnancy been for you? And some of those risk factors, again, not to necessarily scare them or to say this is definitely going to be your situation. But now, you know, so if something is happening, you'll say like, oh, yeah, I remember Dr. Christie already told me about this. So we already talked about this. Let me make sure I'm reaching out. Let me go ahead and use these supports that we put in place. So if we can do it before birth we can already put some supports in place so that we can minimize the risk, reduce the risk, or even prevent the risk. So from a patient perspective mm-hmm. or family member perspective, and even for the healthcare providers, yeah. I know there are times these disorders may not present in a traditional manner. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I know OCD is one that may not look like turning yeah. the light on and off 20 yeah. times. Are there things that you can recommend people be on the lookout for or should be a trigger to maybe dive deeper into Mm -hmm. the evaluation Mm -hmm. specific or unique to pregnancy? Yeah. So, you know, I want to be looking for if my client is talking about intrusive thoughts, if they're talking about thinking about harming themselves or harming the baby or harming, you know, someone else within their family dynamic, right? I'm always going to be looking for that and listening out for that. But you're right. It may not show up that way. It is not to say that everybody that has anxiety or OCD or psychosis is going to automatically have an intrusive thought. And some intrusive thoughts are just that, right? If I'm driving on the interstate and I see a big logging truck, my intrusive thought is, oh, that log won't fall off. <laughs> Let me move from behind this truck. Absolutely. So it's like a preventative thing, right? So it doesn't mean that because they have these thoughts that they're going to engage in and act on these thoughts, but I'm wanting to check for that. I'm wanting to ask for that. I'm also looking at at other dispositions that they may have, other things that they may be saying, because you're right, it's not going to always present the same way in every single client because everybody is different. So, okay, well, tell me about your day. If I'm listening to words like, oh, gosh, I've just been on edge. Or, oh, my gosh, I got all this done today. And then I did this. And then I was able to do that. And then I pumped. And then, you know, and then I nursed. And again, that may be great. Today may be just one of those days that they've been productive. But it also raises my senses a little. Like, let me just see if this is some anxiety, if this is budding anxiety. And this is their way of kind of like working through it. Or if today was just a good day, right? Because when I want to pathologize everything, but I also don't want to miss the mark because something was minimized. That's wonderful advice. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to disorders that could potentially first peak or show themselves in pregnancy? I don't know if it's all of the ones that you listed mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. or there's certain ones. Yeah, you know, it's going to really depend on the birthing person and again, their history, what they're currently experiencing. So someone may never experience postpartum depression and they may be in the roughest and toughest of situations and their supports look a little differently, right? Their coping looks a little differently. Whereas someone who has all the things that they would need and want and and all of that, and they may have postpartum depression, right? Because one of the things we know is it's not just a hormonal thing because you'll hear people say, oh my gosh, she's just hormonal. Right. And you want to shake them. (laughs) It's like, oh, don't put your foot in your mouth. Don't do that. Um, Because it's not just a hormonal thing. It's so many different things that are connected to it. So I don't want to say that, yep, I'm going to look for right off the bat postpartum depression, because then 
I don't want people to not be looking for postpartum OCD, postpartum anxiety, right? So again, for me, it's about educating. It's about making sure that I am aware. And so as a provider, that you're aware of the different diagnoses that could present and that we know how to screen, right? We know the different screening tools to use. We're, again, asking those questions. And so if my screening tool is showing higher rates of I'm feeling down on myself or I'm feeling like I want to hurt myself or I don't enjoy things, right? I'm looking for, hmm, could this be some depression? Could this be some anxiety? I'm feeling all worked up. I can't concentrate, things like that. So definitely, definitely paying attention to that. Now, I will say when we are looking at postpartum psychosis, we're usually within those two to three weeks after birth is I'm che- we're checking. There's one in your, if you're not to say that you're not going to see it at four weeks or six weeks, but definitely looking within that two to three weeks post birth, seeing what's going on and things like that. We are wanting to promote good sleep hygiene as, as best as possible. And sometimes that feels impossible when you are, a, you know, a parent of a, of a new baby, but trying to get that rest as much as possible too. So that again, we can use some of this to reduce what feels like an inability to cope. Absolutely. You spoke to screening mm-hmm. and I know there are a few validated tools for screening in pregnancy. Most mm-hmm. of us know them. I would just like to, for you to speak on that for a minute. And if there are any, say, just standard of practice type of screening advice you would give us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing, because you were asking like, well, what what are some things providers need to know? Or what about this? So there's a discussion tool. PSI, Postpartum Support International, has a discussion tool that can kind of help get that conversation started. So again, like I said, can you, you know, sometimes people have or new parents have scary thoughts. Can you tell me about some of your thoughts or one in seven, one in five to seven moms and one in 10 dads, like it kind of leads you in as these lean in questions, right, to get the conversation started. So that's one thing that you can really start with to kind of get it, the, the, the conversation going. But then the EPDS, so the Edinburgh is a great postnatal or postpartum depression scale that can be used and it's quick to do, right? It's available, it's accessible because oftentimes there's a concern with screening because of accessibility, time constraints, financial constraints. So it's a free, a free tool that can be used in many systems that many providers, healthcare, mental health, medical, whatever providers use. Sometimes the EPS is already in that, that tool in there like their health record system. Uh, But that's a great one. The patient health questionnaire is a good one because again, we're wanting, we're not using these screening tools to replace any type of clinical judgment or to say, oh, well, oh, they didn't do anything. They don't even need therapy. Well, that may not be the case, all right? What are their scores looking like? So again, this is using, you're using these screening tools to help you guide where your next direction is going to be. Do you need to refer them out? Do they need a different type of treatment modality? Are they good, right? Like, hey, these scales, every time I give this screening tool, I'm seeing this consistency. They're more than likely doing okay, right? But then am I checking in again at six months? Because what life looked like at what a two-month-old or one-month-old or three-week-old, right? We, we, some, some may still be in that good honeymoon phase and all the baby cuddles and milk and their little breath and all the things that are fun, right? And in six months, 
or, or two months, three months when we're having cluster feeding and growth spurts and developmental leaps and that witching hour and they're colicky, like mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. So if you stopped giving those screening tools because, oh, well, I screened them at two weeks and four weeks and then again at eight weeks and they've been fine and consistent, then guess what? Now I'm missing at three months, four months, five months, six months, things like that. So those are good and useful. Those are the main two that I know I use most often. But, you know, there are anxiety scales that are out there that folks can use that train professionals. I'll go back to that. (laughs) Mental health um, and medical professionals can use. And so then you can refer the client. Right. I don't particularly specialize in OCD. So that's not going to be treatment. But if my client is showing that, then, hey, this is who I'm going to refer them to an OCD specialist that can help support them with that. So you mentioned screening, mm-hmm. which seems to be important, but just in hearing you, it doesn't sound like we should be planning out screening times, but just maybe a continual observation, evaluation, and then applying the screening tools when we're most concerned there could be a change? Well, not even most concerned because you may not see the concern. So I think your screening tool can be helpful. I have colleagues that do them every other week, you know, every two weeks, just depending on how often They may be seeing their client in a mental health setting. Some clients may go visit their doctors for whatever reason, every three months, every one month, you know, things like that. So if you don't know what to look for, you're not going to know if there's a concern. So your screening tool can help peek you and let you know there's a concern. So I wouldn't say only do it if there's a concern, more of doing it as a, a preventive measure and to help catch any concerns because you may say, well, Oh, how you been doing? How you doing today? Oh, I'm good. I'm doing fine. You know, how are you and the baby adjusting? Oh, they are sleeping now for four hours and I'm getting a good four hour stretch of sleep and things like that. Well, what you didn't ask is, well, what has, what was your last week like? Right. And so your screening tool, depending on what you're using, is assessing over the last seven days. It's assessing over the last two weeks. You say, how you doing today? You didn't ask me nothing about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, over the last two weeks, because today is a good day, right? Right. Five days ago, I was ready to take just be done with everything, right? Five days ago, I really, really struggled and was screaming my head off and walked out the house and left the baby in the house, right? Ten days ago, my partner and I were fussing and I just felt like they didn't want me anymore and everybody would be better off without me. Well, you didn't ask that. So you didn't know it was a concern, right? Mm -hmm. So that is triggering you to say, let's go deeper into this. And hopefully, you know, they trust us enough to honestly answer those screening tools and those questions. So that's why I'm saying your screening tool, it's a piece of paper. What are you going to do with that? As a provider, you still want to ask those clarifying questions, right? And getting that other information. So, oh, okay, well, I see you did this. Now, what was it like a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, tell me what it's been like since we last. So I usually ask my clients, well, how have things been since we last saw each other, right? Because I may not have seen you for two weeks or three weeks. So what that means, tell me what it's been like for the last three weeks, not just today. That is so true. And that holds true for other aspects Mm -hmm. of medicine because on the day of the visit, everything may be fine, but the past three weeks, They've been coughing up a lung, and they think you mean just <laughs> right, right now, right, right, and not thinking about the breadth of time mm-hmm. that can be very significant in understanding what's going on. Absolutely, right yeah. So, what advice would you give to providers, all healthcare providers that mm-hmm. interact with pa- pregnant patients, recently postpartum patients, yeah, about how to 
meaningfully engaged when there's restricted time. Oh, yeah, because that's a concern, right? And everybody's like, oh, I need more time. I wish I had more time. There's not enough time in the day. That's what we always Mm -hmm. say, right? So I would say get those screening tools that are going to be most effective for you in your practice. So the ones that I listed, the EPDS and the PHQ-9 do have shortened versions, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're using that shortened version, though, you need to know what it's asking for and what, what questions may not be there. So you can kind of do that in your talking time together. It may be, you know, if you have the ability to send them that screening tool prior to the meeting. So if I meet, what is today? Well, if I'm meeting with them today, maybe I'll send it out to them a couple of days before in hopes that they'll go ahead and complete it so that I can quickly scan it and look over it before our meeting, because then that saves the time of you having to give them the tool, wait for the five to 10 minutes for them to complete the tool and they're with you. And you really may only have a 15 or 20 minutes that you can be with them. So now you don't have time to even talk about the screening tool. And oftentimes that happens. So people are like, oh, I screened them and then it's in the chart and hey, I had to go on because it was these other things or other patients or clients waiting for me. So I would say if time is a factor and you have limited time, seeing how you can still engage your client, getting those screening measures completed prior to and going going from there. And if you see those red flags that come up on that screening tool, so another part that saves time is already having your referral resource, you know, or referral sources in a list. So, oh, oh, depression, oh, she's saying this, that, and the third. Here a list, right, of three providers you can reach out to, or perhaps you may have an office manager who helps kind of coordinate. Because too, what happens? Oh, I'm gonna give you this list of folks that I've referred you to, and Mama don't have no time either. Mm-hmm. Daddy doesn't have any time either. So as as much as they may want to call that provider and get scheduled and things like that, they're thinking of all the other things, right, that they're doing as soon as they have to leave this appointment. And they may have every intention and desire to call as soon call as soon as I get in the car. And then something, you know, baby is crying or they got to hurry up and get to the next meeting because this appointment was a little longer. Or they're calling to schedule it, but they don't have their insurance card handy because they're driving and they, you know, can't give it. And so the practice is like, well, if you're using your insurance or, you know, all the things that we do when we're trying to do intakes. And so they don't call back. So you may have someone in your practice that helps them coordinate getting that schedule, or you may send over your referral source may have a referral form that is sent and is faxed over and then that office reaches out. So just knowing how your different referral sources operate, does the client have to call? Does this office have to call or will my referral source reach out to that client? Right. And it's okay, whichever, just knowing what that process is. So you'll know. And then when they come back to see you, being able to follow up, hey, did you get a chance to, you know, to get with the psychiatrist? Did you get a chance to make that appointment? And if they're saying yes, when is your appointment with the psychiatrist? And let's go ahead and fill out a release of information because let's talk about you filling out a release of information, right? We're not going to tell them they have to, but let's encourage them to. So this person is a part of your support team. This person I can now coordinate your care with hopefully as much as possible. So I may be seeing some things in in our session time together because maybe with me, you're seeing me every two weeks, but your psychiatrist, once you've got the medication, right, you may not see them for once every three months, right? Once every six months. So I can communicate with them. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This 
hey, I'm not really seeing much difference. Can they get in and get another appointment? We may need some medication adapted or adjusted rather than them waiting three months or six months suffering because the medication didn't work or they stopped taking it because it wasn't working anyway. And here they are still struggling for six months and we can't get anywhere in our treatment or we can't get as far as we were hoping to be by now. Makes perfect sense. And it sounds like based on what you're saying, we as the OB health team, mm-hmm. we don't have to figure it all in one visit. Oh, we can open not. it up and continue it on or schedule special time yeah. to see, to follow up on that issue. Yeah, yeah. And if it's an emergency, right, like, hey, we need to now, what you would do if it wasn't a pregnancy, right? What do you do if there's an emergency in your office, right? So if this is an emergency, no, we can't wait till next week and you come back. This is what it needs to look like in this moment. But you know what ha- what needs to happen? So this is my other piece of, of advice. That collaboration and talking, because if I come in here and I think, oh, emergency, you're going to call 911 on me or you're going to send me to the ER or send me wherever. Guess what? I'm going to stop doing talking to you. I'm going to stop coming to you. And maybe I may know that I need it, but now I feel forced to telling me, right? So if I can have this conversation with you prior on how I operate, what my policies and practices are, then you'll already know, right? And so you'll know like, oh, okay. This is what she does or he does. This is what, you know, how they want to best help. So if I do come in here, because I always tell my clients, like, I want you to tell me that you don't feel safe. I want you to tell me that you feel like hurting yourself. And we're going to talk about what the next level of intervention is. Mm-hmm. It may be you were just super overwhelmed and, oh, gosh, I just need this day to end. Not that I want to end me. But I just need this data in. Okay, well, what supports do you need, right? How can we shut everything down so you can attend to you? It also may mean that we need to bring family or friends in to just kind of be with you for a minute, right? But it also may mean that we need to go to a higher level of care and what that means to look like. So please tell me so that I can best help you. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that and you think I'm automatically going to call and have the ambulance or police come and pick you up because you said... Yesterday, I didn't, I, I didn't care whether I drove into oncoming traffic or not. Then you're not going to do that because I am fixed, getting ready to almost disrupt your life, disrupt, you know, you getting back to this baby. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what to expect from me, mm-hmm. right? If we haven't talked about it beforehand, that's going to be a fear. It's just like fear, right? It's the fear of the unknown. That's what brings up, I think, the anxiety a lot of times. Well, I don't know what to expect how to perceive it. So I'm just anxious. I'm not going to talk about it because this may happen. So true. And I'm glad you brought that up about, especially how the issues can extend in the postpartum period. And a lot of times in those spaces where we're not seeing the patient Mm -hmm. or after we've done our six week completion Mm -hmm. of care, the great news is that recently Tennessee expanded Good. to one year. So this is amazing. Shout out this, Tennessee. Shout out to Tennessee. <laughs> because now we as providers, the patient herself, mm-hmm. the support team, we can take time to get to that Perfect. through that healing process into better. Yeah. Because it makes it only makes sense, right? If we know <laughs> that perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are, you know, can be any time through conception up to a year post birth, why are we stopping at six weeks? Right. It feels very arbitrary. It feels, it don't, it, the, let's say the math ain't mathing, right? It makes exactly. no sense, right? So it's good because then we can continue to follow. And some of the literature even says up to two years. 
right? Because everybody presents differently and shows differently. We've got cultural factors we have to put in there as well. So, but if we're going to go by the standard of one year, regardless, why are we stopping at four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, three months, things like that? So I'm glad to hear hear that that's been expanded. Very exciting for us to just when you think of full care for mm-hmm. a patient and a lot of conditions, including mood disorders, yeah. don't just end when the baby's born. No, matter of fact, a lot of them start, right? Absolutely. Or they get, they get, um, they don't make it start, but now we, we see it as showing up. I see yeah, it's heightened, mm-hmm. right? Heightened. I see, see it more now, right? Because I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm pumping, <laughs> breastfeeding, bottle feeding, ain't no formula, there's no formula on the shelves. <laughs> Did they get formula yet? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like right. all the things, like just there's still a shortage, right? So these are the things. So that's what I'm talking about, like anxiety and those risk factors and triggers. Think about somebody that may have had already had food insecurities currently growing up, whatever. And you mean to tell me there ain't no formula out here? Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious. Yeah, I'm depressed. How am I going to feed my baby? Maybe I didn't want to nurse. Maybe I, I something's preventing me from nursing the way that I, I wanted to. Maybe I, I take medications that don't allow me to breastfeed. Like when folks say, well, just breastfeed. Well, maybe I just can't. Right? Well, just get a formula. Well, clearly I can't, right? So these are the things. And so it may be heightened post, post-birth because now this thing is here. My body, I kept it. I knew what, was, I knew what to do. I was able to control the setting. I could feed it, but it's outside of my body now and it's crying and it's looking at me and it's pooping and I got to feed it. And, you know, all of the, and I got to deal with other kids or my partner or work because everybody doesn't get maternity leave and things like that. So now we start to see where it looked like things were full, things were tame. Here it is. Or now when they're going back to work and they have to consider childcare and they're not ready to go back or when we had the height of COVID, right? What what do I do with my baby? So now we start seeing, bam, here we are. Everything feels like it's falling apart. Can you speak briefly to partner Mm -hmm. disorders around the birthing process and time and how we as providers, how the birthing person themselves could help? Mm -hmm. Would you mind just explaining Absolutely. So one in 10, you've heard me say a couple times, one in 10 dads, and I'm going to really say the non-birthing person because it may not be the dad, right? Non-birthing, non-gestational carrier, non-birthing person can experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. We don't often recognize that and see that. Why? Well, a few things because we always, we, when when I say we, meaning society, general population, like, oh, this is a hormonal thing. And well, the dad ain't had, dad hormones didn't spike up or shift or drop. But what we don't recognize is, again, it's not just a hormonal issue. And yes, also the dad or the non-birthing person can have hormonal variances and shifts as well, right? The brain does a whole lot of things. (laughs) So yeah, it's very important. And then too, you know, like I was saying earlier during the training, we come say, oh, when we send out the announcement, literally, what do people say? They'll say the gender. They'll tell us the baby's name, maybe the gender, their weight and, and length. And they'll say, mom and baby are doing well. Meanwhile, daddy will hit a bell out, <laughs> done fainted, anxious, you know, struggling. Oh. Am I going to be able to do all this? Depressed, whatever it may be. Maybe grieving if they've had a loss. Right. All of those things. And then when we get home and things, oh, let me see the baby. Let me see the baby. Let me see the baby. Mom, how are you doing? Mom, mom, what do you need? What do you need? Right. And not to say that we shouldn't do that. But what happens is we miss something else 
right? So one of the risk factors for the non-birthing person, or if we're talking specifically dads, one of the risk factors for him or the non-birthing person is going to be the birthing person having a PMAD, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Because remember, everybody's navigating this newness, right? So we want to be checking. We want to make sure how are you doing? We want to educate dad as much as possible, too. Sometimes they may be in the therapeutic process or coming to the doctor's appointments and things like that. Sometimes they may not be. So what I do and I suggest folks doing is educate mom, right, the birthing person, educate them on what it also looks like and how it can show up in the non-birthing person. So that way they'll have that education they will see, they'll kind of know what to look out for as well. And then they won't think, well, my partner's being a jerk or, you know, or they are not doing this or they're not grieving either because it may show up differently. It may look differently or maybe they're not being a jerk. Maybe they're just as anxious as you are, right? Mm -hmm. But y'all's anxiety looks different. So, you know, it's very important to understand that and that, that is just not a maternal thing. We have paternal or the non-burdened person as well can have these experiences too. So it's going to be important to, if, if dad's coming, can't do you have the time maybe to screen them as well? And, and if you can't, based on how your systems are set up, because maybe they're not in the system as a patient, so it's nothing in there you know, for them to do, but still asking, still making sure you're going through and checking through that. How are you feeling? Right. All of the different things that we're asking the birthing person, trying as much to kind of see how we can incorporate and ask the non-birthing person if they're attending any of these meetings, too. Mm -hmm. You hit the nail on the head because at the very least, the support person is going on the entire journey. Yeah, absolutely. And most times we're so focused on the birthing person and what they're experiencing in the moment, what they understand in Mm -hmm. the moment, how they're coping with the moment we tend to forget to just even acknowledge yeah. the support person in the room and how they may be handling things because a lot of times they are also processing and supporting Absolutely. at the same time. Absolutely. So they can't show anything that may redirect mm-hmm. focus. Mm-hmm. Right. Because so, like you said, providing that support to them, it's like, well, I can't, well, I got to be strong for her or I have to do this or I have to provide or I have to get back to work, like whatever it may be. One of the things that I've learned is, again, it happens to the couple, it happens to the dyad, it happens to the partnership. So, you know, you both may be grieving in a way, you both may be experiencing this, you, well, you both are experiencing it, you're just experiencing it in your own way. And because sometimes it looks different than my way, I may feel like they're not experiencing it, or they don't know how to support me, or they're not supporting me. In reality, they need some support too. Very true. Well, can you speak to uh, PSI, Mm -hmm. Postpartum Support International, and the resource that it is for all of the things we've discussed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you said, Postpartum Support International is a great resource. It's a huge resource that's available offering support groups, right, for parents and birthing persons. So support groups such as, you know, a support group for postpartum depression, right, a support group for near myths. So these are survivors, right, who who may have almost died during childbirth, right? Support groups for dads. We actually have that. We have support groups for queer and trans people, too. Oh, so many different groups, right? We also have trainings. We have resources. So in addition to resources for birthing people and non-birthing people, 
there are resources and supports for professionals too. So just like we're here these few days doing the training, there there are resources for in-person trainings, virtual trainings, psychopharmacology, right? So medication, there are chat with the experts. So maybe you're a provider and you're like, wait, what, what do I need to do with this? Here's a number that you can call and have this chat and have this communication. Here's a number that you can call as a prescriber on medic, you know, getting needing some some support and and help with medication, right? So it's so many different options and opportunities. And PSI has done a great job with putting this out here, right? And making these resources available to people and not again to just professionals, but to consumers too. And so that's why I really, really love it and love being able to you know, say, here you are. And so if you don't know, so let's just say you're a provider or you're a consumer and you don't know where to begin. You may not want to go to a therapist. You Or maybe you don't have access. I'll say that. Maybe you don't have access to a therapist, right? But, or, or you're like, oh, I need to get this person in something quick. Oh, here's a support group that I can refer them to. Or here's a support group that I can join. And then speaking of therapists, Therapists and providers that are trained in perinatal mental health. So after they get PSI's training, they there's a therapist, there's a provider directory on the PSI website. So maybe you've gone to therapy or gone to providers and it just didn't fit right or it didn't connect. And not that they weren't a great provider. It was just they weren't trained or they didn't have the information that they needed to support you. So if you're dealing with something like this or you're trying to figure out who to refer to, maybe you don't have anyone on your referral list and you have a client sitting right in front of you and they are bawling their eyes out and they're like, I can't do this. This is so hard. And you're like, uh, this is new. Guess what? Go to postpartum's website, PSI's website and go to the provider directory. Search for a provider near you or in your area so that you can get your client connected with someone and not just connected with someone, but connected with someone who is trained. That's key, who is trained, right? So PSI, like I said, is a great resource, available, support in and out all the way through. And like I said, support for professionals and providers, but support for consumers too. That's amazing. PSI is amazing because I'll tell you, (laughs) As the OB provider, and I think I can speak for many, mood disorders, mental health resources are typically the most scarce Mm -hmm. in the community out of everything else you could need support with in managing the patient. So knowing that there's this organized resource of resources. Yeah, I know, that's right? Easily yeah. Accessible. yeah, you just go through, filter it. And that's another thing, like you can filter by insurance. Like if a person oh, wow. has to use insurance, you can filter by area. So well, Tennessee is big, but maybe I want specifically in Nashville. Maybe I want Memphis, right? Knoxville, like things like that. I can filter by LGBTQ, right? I can filter by a provider of color, so, you know, so all of the different things, right, trying to make sure we limit and reduce those barriers that may be out there and to make it easier and accessible. Because if I got to go and try to figure out how to navigate your website, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to close it down. Studies and research show that most people spend an average of maybe three seconds right on that landing page. I need to see what I need to see right there. And so this is great because PSI's website allow you to see, they allow you to see the helpline, right? The warm line, the numbers are there. What to do if this is an emergency or crisis, right? Again, how to get this training. There's a big 
tab that says get help. <laughs> right? Get Can't help. Right? So you're not going all the way through scrolling to the bottom of the page and things like that. So yeah, but like you said, an organized resource for resources. I love yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, I'm personally excited. Oh, I'm glad to and hear. I'm excited. Yes, <laughs> definitely breathing a big sigh of relief to Good. know I have the yeah. support to help patients and can be support now that I know there's a resource that can mm. educate me and connect me. Absolutely. So, Dr. Christy, yes. Christopher Holloway. That's Dr. a long Christy, thing, right? Dr. Danielle. Yes. <laughs> I do appreciate your time so much. It was such a joy to have you here to discuss. I know we can go on and on I and know. on. We'll be here till the end of the day. Yes, but we are going to just wrap things up. Okay. And I do again, thank you so much and appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for interviewing me and thank y'all for listening. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.